0: I want to welcome everybody to the fifth week of our series entitled Triggers. Now, before I jump into the message, I want to take just a moment and pause, uh, and I want to pray for you guys. I know so many people along the Gulf Coast region, all of our campuses along the Gulf Coast, are presently being impacted by Hurricane Ida. And I want to encourage you and I want to pray with you. I know so many of you uh, throughout the weekend have been planning and preparing. Some have evacuated, some have stayed, but yet everybody is concerned and everybody has been very, very prayerful. For those of you at our other campuses outside of our Gulf Coast or those that are joining us around the world, this is a particularly uh, concerning time, people along the Gulf Coast and really any along the place along the United States that you're impacted by hurricanes and so... Uh, Again, God is with you. God is for you. Uh, As your pastor, man, I'm standing with you during this time. And so I just want to pray for you and encourage you. I know many, many, many people are scared and concerned uh, even right now. So if you just bow your head just for a moment, Lord Jesus, I just come right now before you and And God, I just lift up uh, the people, Lord, in the Gulf Coast region, and so many are concerned. Lord, they've been preparing, they've been planning, some have evacuated, some have stayed. And, And God, I pray for two particular things. Number one, I am praying for supernatural protection, Jesus. God, that you would invade. Lord, you would step into this situation. I'm believing for a divine miracle, God. That's what I'm believing for, Lord, that you would step in and, God, somehow that, Lord, there would just be a a divine protection and that people would be amazed, God, in that. Number two, I'm praying for peace. Wherever people live, whatever part of the Gulf Coast that they're in right now, at whatever level they're being impacted, God, God, I'm praying by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would invade their lives right now. God, I ask all of this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. We are continuing in our series called Triggers. Each week, over the last five weeks, we looked at how this concept of triggers, what is it that you get into a situation in the present And there's an environment, there's a circumstance, there's a relationship that comes across your path, and it triggers. What does it do? It triggers you in the present because you are still connected to feelings in the past. In other words, there's things that happen in your past, and when something happens in your present, you're triggered by it. It's almost like you're transported back to the past. And what I've said is that we don't have to live captive to feelings enslaving us from the past. In other words, by the power of the gospel, we can be set free. In other words, we can renew our mind. We can reduce or even eliminate triggers as we apply the power of the cross to our present situation. So we've been looking at different biblical characters. Today I want to look at... David. Yes, the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. It's interesting when you think of David, how God used his life. I mean, God supernaturally used this man's life. By the way, in spite of his imperfections, in spite of his weaknesses, I mean, this was a gifted man called by God, very called and anointed by God, and yet tremendous imperfections in his life. You know what I found out? as I've walked with Jesus over 30 years, is that God does not, listen, God does not go around our perfections, but God actually uses our perfections. You wanna know why when God moves through our imperfections, you wanna know why God does that? Because when God does it, people know that God gets the credit. In other words, God uses us in spite of us. God uses us. God wants to make an impact through your life. You're not disqualified because of your past. You're actually properly positioned to be used by God because of your past. And David, there's no greater example in the Bible than King David. I, I love the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Again, people ask this all the time. Why? Who does God use? What type of person does God use? Listen to this. Paul the apostle writes to the church at Corinth and he says... For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things. Isn't that powerful? God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Why is that? And the base things of the world and the things which are despise God has chosen in the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. The fact of the matter is that David's an amazing example of how God takes the brokenness of humanity, how God spent such an enormous amount of time. By the way, God spent a lot of time talking about David. You ever thought about this? 14 chapters in the Bible about Abraham. 14 chapters in the Bible about Joseph, great man of God in the Old Testament. Jacob had 11 chapters. Elijah, the great prophet, had 10. Why did God spend 66 books in the Bible talking about David? Why is that? Because David battled with rejection. David battled with fear. He battled with betrayal by his father, by his brothers. In other words, David was perfectly positioned as somebody used by God in spite of who he was. Today, I want to talk to you about what it means when you're triggered by rejection. I believe if there's anybody in the Bible that understood rejection, if there's anybody that understood the pains of rejection and how it can potentially hinder you in life, it's King David. See, the fact is, is that David was rejected by his dad. He was rejected by his brothers. He was rejected by the current king, and yet God used David's life in spite of that. Let me ask you a question. Do you deal with rejection? Do you deal with the fear and the pains of rejection? Maybe something happened in your past. Maybe when you were a kid. Maybe it's a teenager. Maybe in your 20s. Wherever you are in life and, and, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, man. That rejection has stung your soul. And you feel like just when you get energy in your life and you begin to accomplish, you want to step out and do something. All of these voices from the past come haunting you. You can't. You won't. You aren't. Well, if there's anybody in the Bible that can relate to you, it is David. The fact is, is that Israel as a nation was a theocracy. It was ruled by God. Of course, they had judges at one time that were leading, but yet God was ultimately in control. And yet Israel looked at, the, saw the different nations around and they wanted a king. God reluctantly, yes, reluctantly allowed the first king who was Saul to be placed in the position of leadership. Samuel the prophet anointed the very first king. Saul, I spoke about that a few weeks ago in our series. You can always go back and look. And, and yet Saul, well, he ended up compromising his walk with God. He was hot-tempered. He was, ended up being very hysterical and doing very, very crazy things. And God removed him as king. And so now there was the nation of Israel. They needed a king who was going to be chosen. Well, Samuel, thank God, was still anointed by God as the prophet of the Lord for the nation of Israel. Samuel begins to call out to God. And God calls Samuel and he tells him to go down to a place called Bethlehem. God had not abandoned his people. God had chosen the next king of Israel. God's hand was upon somebody. Don't ever think that God has left you. Don't ever think that God has left us even as a nation. Whatever nation you are, God has a plan. God has a purpose for your life personally. God has a purpose for your family. And yes, I believe that God even has a purpose for nations. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, the Bible says, As God sends Samuel down to speak and to anoint the next king of Israel, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, in it's powerful, and go. For I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. For I have provided myself a king among his sons. God rejected Saul as king over Israel, and God placed Samuel on a journey to anoint a new king in Bethlehem. Let's read. This is so powerful. There's so much in this. Lean in with me here. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 4. Watch what happens. So Samuel did what the Lord said. And he went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming. And he said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons. And he invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab. And he said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I've refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for the Lord looks at the outward appearance. Boy, wouldn't things be different if we evaluated the way God does? We all, man evaluates on the outside, but God looks at the heart. He said, man looks at the physical stature, but, but I have refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward, but the Lord looks at the heart. Let's jump to verse 10. Watch this. Watch how this picks up here. Then Jesse, that's David's father, made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. That's the prophet. What are they doing? They're looking for the next king of Israel. Who is God looking for? Who has God chosen? And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. What happened? You've got Jesse. He brings out his first one, the oldest one. Oh, man. Boy, he's the one. What do you think, prophet? Samuel, what do you think about him? Not, Not him. How about the next one? Ah, not him either. Samuel's discerning. How about that one? Fourth one. How about the fifth one? Sixth one. Seventh one. Listen, God does not speak to Samuel. It's none of that bunch. And now Samuel looks at Jesse, and here's what he says. Look at this. Man, this is powerful. The Bible says, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? And then he said, well, Jesse thinks about, well, there's, there's, there's one. Wait a minute, time out. He surely, he's, thinking, he's probably thinking to himself, surely, surely it's not this young one. Surely it's not David. This is in the Bible. There remains yet the youngest, and, and there he is keeping, keeping the sheep. It's almost, like, it's almost like Jesse was embarrassed that he didn't bring all of his sons. Samuel asked for all the boys to come, and yet, and that, think about it. The dad left one of his sons out. There remains yet the youngest, and he is out there keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send him, bring him here. For we will not sit down till he comes here. And so he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking, and the Lord said, arise. Oh, man, God speaks to Samuel right here. He says, arise, oh, man, anoint him. I mean, can you imagine what went through Jesse's mind? Anoint him! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait, wait! Surely it would have been one of the. Surely it would have been one of the top seven. Wait, is God about to? Is God about to anoint? Is God about to anoint David? And so he said, and he brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes, and good looking. And the Lord said, "Arise, anoint him, for this is the one." And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him. him who? David, in the midst of his brothers. Uh oh, his brothers. His brothers saw God's hand come upon him. And now, can you imagine what's going on in their heart? And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Can you imagine Jesse's excitement mixed with fatherly pride as he paraded those seven boys before the prophet? This one, and then this one, and then this one. And then all of a sudden, he gets to the end. And the prophet says, is there any other? And Jesse realizes, well, there's one other. Can you imagine what was going through David's mind that morning when he wasn't picked by his own dad? David knew exactly what was going on. Why was he left out? Can you imagine the lies of the devil that he had to grapple with? Why am I not coming to the party? Why has my dad forgot about me? Why, why do my other seven brothers get to go? But, but what about me? Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you've thought that before. Why was dad always going to his games? And mom and dad showed up at their games, but why not my games? And, 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 and why, did this, why did this happen to me? But it didn't happen to them. And then all of a sudden, when Jesse calls, when Jesse calls in David, well, David, David, Samuel's calling for, for, for one more. Can you imagine what went through his mind? Maybe that's where you've been in life. Maybe you feel like you never got picked. You never got called to the party. Maybe it was a sports team. Maybe it was with your siblings. And maybe you weren't as athletic as them or maybe you didn't make the grades. Can you imagine, man, I'll never forget having a conversation with somebody one time. And he said, man, pastor, it seems like all of my brothers were athletic except me. They all had the gifts. And I'm gonna tell you, boy, my dad gravitated towards them. And man, they got the high fives. And I knew my dad loved me, but I was never celebrated because he valued that. And I wasn't that. Maybe that's where you are maybe you can relate to David. I don't believe there's a greater picture in the Bible of the power of rejection that comes in, the negative power of rejection that comes in. And yet, isn't it interesting that God, listen to me, that God chose who man didn't choose. And let me say that to you. I'll say it again, isn't it interesting that God chose who man didn't choose? I know a little bit about rejection. Some of you have heard my story. I, my parents were divorced when I was young, and my uh, my dad, my blood father, moved away. And of course, he was an alcoholic and struggled, struggled with alcohol addiction his whole life. And when I got saved at eighteen, I, I man, I got to tell you, you you would have thought you know he'd have been excited, but of course he was he wasn't a believer. And boy, the words that would come against me and. And, and it was tough. Thanks, God. Thank, thank the Lord I wasn't six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. At least I was 18. But I'm gonna tell you, it was very painful. Listen, when you're cursed out in a drunken stupor by somebody and you're mocked and you're cursed for being, quote, one of those born-agains, I don't care what it means. Let me tell you something. Rejection hurts at any age. I, I, I can relate to that. The fact of the matter is, is that some of you, because of workaholism, maybe your parents weren't around maybe because of divorce, maybe because of alcoholism or drug addiction or, or whatever it is, you felt left. You felt like, hey man, what happened to me? Where, why, why wasn't I picked? And, and the pain of that rejection, and, and what happens is when we get into a situation today that feels familiar, you, you get close to somebody and think, wait, time out, wait, wait, they're gonna reject me and so you start rejecting them. In other words, we can get triggered by rejection. It would have been bad enough for David if it was just his dad. But you guys remember that when when Goliath, the Philistine, was tormenting Israel and and, and David felt called of God and he he ran up to the battle line and his brothers said, who are you? I thought you were just bringing the food. Surely you don't think. Another one, he was rejected by his dad. Number two, by his brothers. But then he was rejected by King Saul. I don't know if you've ever thought of that before, but the man after God's own heart, the one that was called and marked by God, dealt with the sting of rejection his whole life. And yet God still used him and God will still use your life. God wants to heal your life and God wants to encourage you. And God wants to, God wants to mend the broken place of your heart. Why? So that God can, God, so that God can raise you up as a testimony of his grace, as a trophy of his grace. Now it's interesting when you think of rejection, there's always three responses. And I want to talk to you about that and if you're taking notes, all of those of you that are online right now, those of you that are watching, wherever it is around the world or our Gulf Coast region the, the, or in our Atlanta campus, the, I think it's so important that we understand that there's always three responses to rejection. Number one, the first is performance and perfectionism. Number two is withdrawal and despondency. And number three is brokenness and security. Number one, let's talk about one of the responses that is so common when people experience the pain of rejection. Number one, write this down. Performance and perfectionism. Performance and perfectionism. See, when we feel that sting of rejection, that familiar sting of rejection that we don't measure up, that we don't quite make it, that we're just not good enough. Here's what happens. One of the responses that we often have is that that we rise up in our natural giftings to overcompensate, to prove to our parents, to prove to our boss, to prove to our coworkers, to prove to our friends that we are worthy, that we are capable. In other words, we tend to compensate through our performance the feelings of worthlessness that we've carried for years. Oh, but this is so common. Man, you've heard it before. My dad didn't affirm me. My dad didn't give me what I needed. My mom wasn't there for me. My parents were. So I I made a decision. Well, I've heard people say this before. And I made a decision that that, that I was not going to let anybody see any weakness in me and I was going to achieve. That I was going to rise up. I was going to perform. I was going to show them. In other words, there's a lot of gifted people that are living with, I'm going to show the world mentality. Man, you know how exhausting that is? I'll I'll never forget, I heard a story by a preacher. His name is Ed. I won't give you his last name. He wrote a wonderful book about the Father's love. And and he was a pastor, and, and he talked about his dad, and his dad was a great baseball player. And his dad wanted him to be a baseball player. And by the way, let me just say that there's nothing wrong with... Parents, moms, or dads that that maybe achieve or excel in an area and and, and wanting to set your kids up to excel in similar places. There's nothing wrong with that. It's the pressure, though, attached to that, A, when your kid's not gifted in that, or B, even if they are gifted, that we put unrealistic expectations on them. So Ed's dad would bring him, every day after work, he would bring his son outside. uh, They had a side yard, and his dad would get the the catcher's mitt. And 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 Ed would throw the ball, and, and Ed would have to wind up, and 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 his dad was training Ed to be a pitcher, and and he would throw, and not just one or two or three, but there was hundreds of pitches, and Ed, and Ed remember hearing this from his dad. It's it's not good enough. Throw another one, Ed. Ed, Ed throw it. Throw, it's not good enough. Throw another one, Ed. And Ed began to say throughout his life that his life began to be measured by 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 strikes and balls. That he had this mentality that because his dad, day after day, year after year. Now, his dad's motive, what was his dad's motive? I don't stand up here to suggest that his dad was some sort of evil. No, no, his dad was a, a, He's probably doing the best he could, but he but, but was, was too much. The boy never felt affirmed as who he was. He felt that he could only please his dad if he threw a strike. You ever been there before? Maybe you feel like that unless you throw the strike, Unless you close the deal, unless you have the big house, unless you have the big contract, unless all of your kids are perfect, unless you unless you throw a strike, it's not good enough. Let me tell you what happens. When people that are gifted have wounded souls, they rise up, they begin to make decisions real early on. I'm gonna do whatever I have to do to throw a strike. Oh yeah. Let me tell you what that is. That's called rejection and perfectionism. And the problem is, is that they throw a lot of strikes. Gifted people, man, you can throw a lot of strikes. The problem is you become hell to live with, if I can say that. You become, it's very hard to live with somebody like that. Let me tell you, because they're always demanding that everybody throw strikes around them. It's tough. What is that really about? I'll tell you what that's really about. It's, there's, there's a, there's something broken on the inside. Fiercely competitive people attempt to f- fulfill an emotional vacuum that was often left there as a kid. There's a cycle of perfectionism that continues to rage in life as they seek to prove their value. I'm going to prove my value. I'm going to prove my value. When, when somebody's been deeply rejected, when they've not received love and let me tell you something god has designed this as as young people to receive love and acceptance and affirmation but when we don't receive that as a kid it sets us up for this performance mill that it's so difficult to get off of unless christ comes and heals your heart number one is performance and perfectionism Number two, the second response that we often see when someone's experienced deep rejection is withdrawal and despondency. There's two ways you can go. It's almost like a seesaw. You you can go, the performance perfectionism, I'm gonna rise up, I'm gonna show the world. I'm gonna show the world I'm somebody. I'm gonna prove to everybody. I'm gonna prove to dad. You didn't call me to the party, dad, but I'm gonna prove to you. I'm gonna throw the strike. But the other side is that the people begin to realize real quick, I can't perform and throw the strike, so I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna withdraw into a place of despondency. So it's performance, it's performance and perfection or withdrawal and despondency. Yeah. This person runs in the other direction when they feel the trigger of rejection, that sting of rejection. They they run into withdrawal. They run into a place of despondency and even depression. This is when we lack a proper confidence and we begin to reject ourselves and I'm not good enough and I can't achieve. And and, and the one side they said, I'm gonna achieve and I'm gonna show the world. The other side says, I can't do it. I can't accomplish it. I'll never become. Why why even try? Why should I even try? What's the point of even giving it a shot? I know I'll never throw a strike. Listen to David's heart is, We begin to understand a little bit of a picture into what he's thinking. This is right after he fought Goliath at a very young age. Psalms chapter 13, verses 1 and 2 shows us his temptation to withdraw. How long, O Lord, will you forget about me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? What is that despondency? How long, O Lord? Will you hide your face for for me forever? How how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Think about that just for a moment. Do you know some people that deal with rejection, they don't even realize that that they're gifted and they can accomplish things, but they they always tend towards that, that, that depressed state? Again, this side over here, performance and perfectionism, they become strong and harsh and judgmental because they're great achievers and they have very little grace with people. But these people are so broken and busted, they don't even have an accurate assessment of how God's designed them. Back and forth, back and forth. Think about it with David. Think about it. From the time this happened, David became the subject of Saul's demonic plot to knock him out. His dad rejected him. His brothers never affirmed him and they rejected him. And now Saul, the king that once was anointed by God. Oh yeah, his insecurity, Saul's insecurity. Man, he came after David. I tell you, when you look at David, 66 chapters, think about that. There's a lot of recorded in the Bible of this guy on the run. He's on the run. He's on the run. And he was just pounded. And that's why his mind was filled with such doubt at times. He's in the wilderness like a beast in the wilderness running from Saul. It would have been bad enough if rejection. So he's triggered by his dad. He's been triggered by his brothers. He's been triggered by Saul. This guy grappled with rejection, man. Wow. When people feel this thing of rejection, particularly early in life, they often build walls. Why to protect themselves? Rejection's painful. We've all experienced it. They build walls to protect their hearts from potential further hurts. They become dominated by fear and withdrawal and inwardly become full of insecurity and loneliness and often self-pity. And this rejection often leads to a, a loss of self-value. They accept the rejection of others as an indication of their own worthlessness. Let me say that again. People that deal with great rejection, they they often accept the rejection of others as an indication of their own worthlessness. Back and forth. Performance and perfectionism, withdrawal and despondency. You ever been there before? Maybe you're on this side. Maybe you're realizing that you've been plagued your whole life wanting your, the approval from an earthly father, the approval from a coach, the approval from a mom, because you didn't quite throw the strikes, and you realize now that you've been living for this phantom audience that someday, some way, when you close another deal, when you do another thing, somebody's going to emerge out of the stand and say, you're okay. But it never happens. And yet, maybe you're over here. You feel so defeated in life. You're like, man, what's the use I can't compete, I can't keep up, back and forth. Wow, performance and perfectionism, withdrawal and despondency. I had a guy, matter of fact, when I was in Bible school, I went to college and I went to Bible school, then I went to seminary actually after Bible school. And When I was in Bible school, there was a guy and and he was a friend of mine and I started getting close a little bit, and we started talking, and it was interesting. So every time I got close to him, he began to do, like, these crazy things to sabotage our friendship, and he would, and he would begin to reject me. And I finally, I finally just questioned him. I said, man, what is up? Like, it's cool. Like, man, if you don't want to hang, I mean, I thought we were dreaming, and we we're going to touch the world together, but yet. And, and, he, and he just was real honest with me. He said, Steve, can I just be honest? He said, "I deal with so much rejection in my life. I'd love to be your friend, man, but I just feel like if you re- here it is. If you really get to know me, you're not going to like me. So I'm in this cycle where I start rejecting people. Watch this before I think that they're going to reject me. You see that? We got to heal to that." Men, we've got to get healed of that. Ladies, you've got to get We've all got to get healed of this. Why? Because this is no fun. You never feel like you measure up here, and you're always trying to get a carrot at the end. Over here, you feel so defeated. And by the way, David, David experienced both sides. Say, Pastor, what's the goal? How do I get out of this? I'll tell you the goal. The goal is not performance and perfectionism, and it's not withdrawal and despondency. Let me tell you what the goal is. Here's what I found out. You can't hide your pain. You can't run from the pain of rejection. You can't try to bury the pain of rejection. You and I actually have to bring that pain. We've got to bring the pain of rejection to God. Only God. Your performance can't heal you. Your lack of performance and hiding can't heal you. Only God can heal. Number three, I'll close with this. And it's, it's security. It's the security that comes from brokenness before God. I want you to think about this just for a moment. David's dad rejected him. His brothers rejected him. Rejection obviously could have plagued David his whole entire life. It could have plagued him his whole entire life. But how did he deal with it? How how did David deal with it? How did David deal with it? How how did he deal? I'll tell you how he dealt with it. He he, he found a secret in his life that that he he wasn't going to stuff it anymore. He realized the contaminants in his soul, the toxins in his soul, that rejection. That if he just swallowed it and just rose up, how many times have you heard someone say, "Man, I'm just, I'm just gonna just make it. I'm just gonna rise up. I'm just gonna keep going." Wait, have time out. Everybody can see that you're hurting. Everybody can really see the facade on both sides. Tell you what, David did. I love this about David. This is a picture, and I, I want to encourage anybody that's dealing with the, the, the trigger and this thing of rejection. This is a picture, it's a blueprint that God allowed us to see through one of his most favored servants. Not perfect, broken, not perfect. David. Psalms 34, verse 17, the Bible says, David wrote this, the righteous cry out. And the Lord hears. When's the last time you brought your pain to God? You can't perform your pain away. You can't run from your pain. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord, here it is. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and he saves such as have a contrite spirit. I love this part. Man, I love this part. And Psalms 34, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Don't let anybody tell you that life's easy. Man, life, there's trials and tribulations, but here's the promise of God. The promise of God is many are the afflictions of the righteous. David's crying out to God. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Aren't you glad for God's delivering power? (sighs) David found his acceptance, not from his performance ultimately, and not from his hiding out. Quit hiding. Quit hiding over here. Your pain's not gonna go away by living in hiding, isolated in your home with your shades up. Nobody can see you or your shade's down, let me say that. Now, you you think that you're just withdrawing from life or over here, you won't ever heal yourself, sir, ma'am. You're never gonna heal yourself from outperforming your pain. It only further enslaves you. You can't perform your way out of pain and, and, and you can't hide your way out of pain. But you can bring your pain. You bring your pain to God. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. David found his acceptance from the Lord. Do you know I love the book of Psalms? You want to know why I love the book of Psalms? 66 books in the Bible. 65 books of the Bible are primarily God speaking to man. But there's one book of the Bible, the book of Psalms, P-S-A-L-M-S, Psalms. It's primarily, watch this, man speaking to God. And 80% of the Psalms were written by King David. Why? Because he would get in the wilderness. Where did David get healed? I'll tell you where he got healed. He didn't get healed through his performance, and he didn't get healed from hiding, he got healed from the Lord. He would begin to declare to God. He would begin to cry out to God, "Sir, why have we not brought our pain to God? Why have you not brought your pain to God, ma'am? Why have you not brought you? You can't run from it. You can't hide out over here. Well, I just won't go to any parties. I won't be around people. I'm just going to check out life. No, you just take your pain with you. No, David brought his pain to God. That's what the gospel's all about." That we don't have to be a perfect people, we just have to be a broken people. What does it mean to be broken? Wounded is different than broken. Wounded means that your soul is ravaged. Broken means you've given up trying to do your life in your own strength. It means you've come to the cross and you said, God, I need your help. God, I need your blessing. God, I need your forgiveness. God, I need your Holy Spirit to heal me. I love the chapter in Isaiah chapter 53 which is a prophetic picture speaking of Christ and what Jesus is going to do in our hearts and what he does in our hearts. Isaiah 53 says, Surely he has borne our griefs. That's Jesus. You know the word griefs there is pain. He's, he wants to be hey, Listen, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he didn't just pay for your sins, but he also bore your griefs. What are you going to do with your pain? you going to perform it away? you going to hide it? Bury it? Man, you'll carry that forever. You'll carry that to the grave. You'll carry that pain to the grave. Or are you going to let Jesus, surely he has borne our griefs and carried away our sorrows. What does that mean he's carried away our sorrows? He's the one that heals us. He's the one that restores us. He's that one. Listen, he makes your brokenness beautiful. Why not bring it to Jesus? Why not bring your pain to Jesus? Quit denying your pain. Sir, quit denying your pain. Quit trying to outperform your pain. You're running. You can't run anymore. You can't go any further. Quit trying to hide from your pain. Bring your pain. Bring your rejection to the foot of the cross. You know what he'll do? He'll do. I'll tell you what he'll do. He'll bear it. That means he takes it. And then the next thing is he carries it away. I want to end with this confession. I've heard so much good feedback from all of you about how these confessions have helped you and encouraged you. And, and I just want to, all of us and all of our All the people that are joining me online, wherever you are around the world, I think this is so important. We just want to make these confessions. These are so important. Let let me me read them with you together. Here it is. My identity and worth are found in God and what he says about me. Isn't that powerful? You ought to write this down. Take a picture of that on your cell phone. Go to your, wherever you are, your screen, your TV, those of you that are on our campus in Atlanta, wherever you are, just take a picture of that right there. Right there. Just take a picture. Whatever campus you're at, Wherever you're watching this, those that are online right here, my identity and worth are found in God and in what he says about me. Watch this. Number two, I will allow God to heal me. Sir, allow God to heal you. Man, I was running from my pain for a long time. Don't, you don't have to. You'll never perform your way out of pain. You've got to bring your pain to the cross, the foot of the cross. Only Jesus can heal you of your pain. I'll allow God to heal me and raise me up. Number three, my inner security comes from knowing you, oh God. I cling to you. Here's another one. I found my acceptance in God alone. Oh God, you are my acceptance. You are my acceptance. You know, really, the healing power of Christ comes when we surrender to Jesus. I'm going to ask everyone right now. I just sense the Holy Spirit right now. Wherever you are, I just want to pray for you. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads. Jesus loves you. Jesus cares for you. Some of you have been running for a long time. Some of you have been hiding for a long time. But when we come to Jesus and we first ask him to forgive us of our sins, do you know Christ? Question, I'm asking everybody. Do you know that you know? if you die today, you're ready to stand before God? With everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, our online hosts are with you right now. I, I'm just going to just pray for you. Before we go any further, just with everybody's heads bowed, maybe you say, Pastor Steve, pray for me. I need Christ. I'm not sure about my relationship with God right where you are. I think it's an act of faith right where you are. Would you do this at the count of three You say, Pastor, I need Christ. I need the blood of Jesus to wash me, to cleanse me, to make me new. If that's you at the count of three, I'm going to ask you to hold your hand up. One, two, three. Quickly, hold your hand up high.